0: Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. To learn more about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, Texas, visit our website at thedoorchurch.net. Now let's worship God by opening His Word. Good morning church family. Uh, my name is Scott Brooks. I'm the lead pastor on the teaching team. Glad you're here this morning. Like she said, grab your Bible. will be in Ephesians 1. Uh, we'll go through uh, um, verses 3 through 14 this morning. And so we're looking at this, uh, this sermon series and the theme of it is being immersed in a new identity. Uh, so make sure you grab your Bible. If you don't have one, there's, there's one in the seat back in front of you. You can grab it. Ephesians 1, pick up in verse 3, it says this. having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might uh, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Uh, that's the word of God. Uh, would you pray with me? God, I thank you for speaking to us, particularly in your word. I pray that the Spirit of God uh, would help us possess the glorious riches that are in Christ Jesus this morning, that we would walk in a more um, realized position, uh, filled position of just understanding your great love and our identity that you've given us in Jesus. And so I pray we see the blessed benefits and help us uh, just receive them uh, with, with joy and praise. that's ask that in Jesus' name, amen. So um, this morning, uh, the sermon title is this, Possessing Our Position in Christ, Possessing uh, Our Position in Christ. And so um, if I had to... Kind of parse this this passage out, which which I'm going to try to do. It is a long run-on sentence, and so in a way, it's really interesting. We have three people on the on the on the preaching team. You have I'm one of the one of the guys on the preaching team. You got Pastor Drayton Shanks and Pastor Brad Larson. We, we rotate, and what you see, I see in this passage is kind of a flavor of all of us, obviously written by 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 Paul and the Spirit of God. This is God's word, yet. Paul writes a run-on sentence, and I identify with run-on sentences. I don't know where periods go, commas go. I can't spell. I mean, so I'm like, this, the spelling's not wrong. But in a way, this is something that you get from me. So if you ever get an email from me or a text, that's just how it is. I just struggle with grammar. Uh, Now, Brad Larson is very good at writing. He's like a wordsmith, and he brings beauty by language. And so I see a lot of this. There's a lot of order and structure and clarity uh, and this, and then you got Drayton Shanks. He's just big-hearted, and man, he'll 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 share, share all the feels with you. And you get this in this text too. So it's like a, a combination of all of us in this run-on passage that we're going to look at this morning. So uh, it's it's just a really interesting text. It really in Greek is all one sentence, and so um, that they're like, why are we talking about this? Well, that's why, right? It's a run-on sentence uh, in in English, and it's beautiful and well well crafted. Um, I want, want to look at first is we never assume the gospel of Jesus Christ here at the Door Church. What I mean by that is I don't assume that you're a Christian. I think it's a bad position for any church to, to lean into. Why? Because being a Christian, just because you showed up doesn't make you Christian. It's having faith, um, faith in Jesus Christ. And it says this as we just kind of define our relationship. And as I'm doing this, I want you to consider uh, where is your faith? Are you a Christian? Uh, this is why we're doing it. We don't want to assume I don't want to assume this for you. It'd be the worst mistake you could do. Verse 13 it says, "In him you also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the, the promised Holy Spirit. So that defines what the gospel is. The Gospel of Jesus Christ is good news for who sinners as Paul pastor Paul just mentioned is no one's righteous, not one. that's why we do there. There are no perfect people. The way that you become a Christian is admitting that you're a sinner. The good news of Christianity is not you, it's Jesus. What God has done for you in his son, Jesus Christ, that he came down and he lived where you disobeyed and rebelled. He was perfect in his righteousness, and in his obedience to God and the word uh, uh, and the law. And he, he fulfilled it. Then he died in our place. You and I deserve death. Not only physical death, that's what sin is. Uh, the wages of sin is death, but also spiritual death. We, s- spiritual death. We deserve the wrath of God. But the good news is that Jesus Christ came, he lived, he died, and he rose again. Why for you? And for whoever believes in Jesus Christ moves from a position of a sinner to a son to a saint. You are justified before God by what? Believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's personal. When when you It says... Uh, that, that your salvation, that means that means your mama can't do it, your dad can't do it, your sister can't do it for you. It's not a family thing, it's not an American thing, it's a personal thing. you got to personally respond and confess your need, which is <laughs> you're a sinner, and put your faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it says when you do that, the Spirit of God the one that gives you life, and you're sealed with the Spirit. That's a mark of your redemption, which we'll get into uh, here in a second. So verse 13 is defining the relationship. You either are right now a sinner or a son, depending on your belief in Jesus Christ. Uh, confession of your sin and belief in who Jesus is for you. Verse 10, it talks about it this way. When you become a believer, it says that when uh, that Jesus Christ has united all things. So there's a, a, a union that we have with Jesus now, that, that you belong to God in Jesus Christ, that you are united to Him. This is a covenant relationship. So it doesn't matter if you're good today or bad today or fail. You're not your, your relationship with God's not marked on your performance, but on what? The person and work of Jesus Christ. It's unconditional in the sense that Jesus Christ has met that condition and you are now justified in Jesus Christ. You have a covenant relationship with God that is your position. And it's very uh, very similar to if you are married, right? You you have a covenant relationship with your spouse. At one moment, you were you have two last names, like two different last names. Like we used to be Marcy Chisholm, Scott Brooks. We got married, now it's Scott and Marcy Brooks. There's a covenant relationship that now defines who we are, to become one, and that's the same idea when we become a Christian. We have a covenant relationship with God through Jesus that doesn't change. So we, we're united. To God in Christ by the power uh, of, of the Holy Spirit. Now, the first part I want to look at is kind of the Pastor Brad Larson's. It's ridiculous, <laughs> redundant uh, on purpose. So, like, the, if you read this, there's a common theme of in Christ, and we got to think about what does that mean. So, what it's telling us is how God views us as, as sinners that put their faith in Jesus Christ now as Sons and daughters. So, um, in Christ, I had one time I heard a sermon, the guy kept on like emphasizing in Christ. I'm like, you got to explain it, right? You can't just say it like louder for people to get it, right? So, if you're a sinner, like say this is a person and they're a sinner, right? And this Bible is Christ. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're in Christ. Right, so now, your view, although you can see it right here, I'll cover it. You can only see what? The Bible, which is Jesus. So your view is what? Can you see the sinner, which the paper's a sinner? This illustration may be failing epically. But the idea is all that you can see is the Bible, right? When God sees you, he doesn't see, he, uh, he doesn't see a sinner. He sees a saint, he sees his son. That's our position in Christ. That's how God views you now if your faith is in Jesus. Now, Paul is wanting us to see this very clearly, and he does this through redundancy. The redundancy is real, but there's a, a there's a reason for it. He wants you to, to realize the truthfulness of how God sees you. He wants, you, he wants to renew your mind uh, of your identity in Jesus Christ. So let's look at it. In verse 3, it says, in Christ. Verse 4, it says, in him, which is Christ. Verse 5, it says. Through Jesus Christ. Verse 6, in the beloved, that's Jesus. Verse 7, it says, in him. Verse 9, in Christ. Verse 10, in Christ. Verse 11, in him, which is Christ. Verse 12, in Christ. Verse 13, in him. Verse 13, uh, second part of 13 is in him. That's 11 times in this run on sentence that God, Paul's going out of his way to say, how does God view you? In Christ, he views you that, 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 way. That's the relationship that you have through Jesus. Now, why is this important? Because our identity is everything. Now, if you ever heard, you know, if you get like hundred compliments and one critique, all your members are critique, right? You've kind of heard that. And that's very true, man. I, all the time, you know, you're walking around, you hear one thing, it's totally destroy you. Well, the reality is we usually hear about ten complaints or criticism or attacks all the time and maybe one truth of who we are in Christ. And it's probably much less than that. So there's an attack, a spiritual war on your identity in Christ, Um the world is trying to woo you away from who you are in j- Jesus, distracts you. Um, and, and, and through these attacks, listen, it's shriveling your soul. It, it's, it's like shrinking you, who you are. Uh, and, and this comes about all the time. I mean, everyone right now is struggling with politics. They're struggling with their work, their neighbors, everything. And it's all it is, is a distraction to a certain extent of who you are, From who you are in Jesus. Uh, This is the whole point. You are in Christ. This is your main identity. Paul goes out of of his way 11 times saying, how should you view yourself? How God views you, which is what? In Jesus. This is what? Who you are. It's defining your position as a person that you belong to God in Jesus Christ. There is a narcissism that is prevalent in you, about you, and around you. And what is narcissism? You think the world's about you. The Bible does not say that. The Bible is explicitly about Jesus. The more you think this world's about you, the more it'll shrivel your world. See, it goes out of your way to say, man, the the Bible, this passage, it is for you, and it it will benefit you greatly. But who's it about? It's about Jesus. Man, you want to walk by the Spirit of God, behold Christ and the benefits that he provides you more. See, Paul wants you to walk in the opposite of narcissism, but in the fullness of the Spirit, which is beholding Jesus. This is the point of this passage, really to possess our position in Jesus Christ, if you're a believer. Now, what is, this is how God views you, in Christ. So you're hidden in Christ. Um, you're you're beloved in Christ. So the other idea is because this is our blessed position, how do we walk? And so this idea is in verse three, it says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. So where do we find our blessing? In Christ, it says. And this blessed position is this really happiness, deep joy. It's really this, this soul care for your life. Now, how do, we, how do we behold the be- benefits that Christ uh, brings us? Another way you can say, it, how do we walk in our blessed position? Well, we got to do that by the Spirit of God that He gives us, which we'll talk about more about. The Spirit of God, when you're, when you're sealed with your salvation, the Holy Spirit lives in you and He helps you see your position more rightly, to walk in it, to behold it, to treasure it. See, a lot of us become Christians. And we're not walking in the position that God's afforded us. So, my wife's over there. When we got married, like it's kind of like we we're we got married young. I really didn't know what marriage was about, but I was, I was totally in, still am in. Uh, and early on, you got it. You, had, you do the vows and two become one flesh, and it, it kind of felt like we're playing house. Like it wasn't real. Like I mean, you're kind of like we're married, but you know, it, you know, it didn't seem like. Nothing really changed. Like, we weren't married. We walked down the aisle, now we're married. Now we have joint bank accounts. You have my last name. We're playing house together. And so uh, what's interesting, in my phone, which her, her name is not Marcy, it's wifey. So every time she calls or texts, you want know, to pop us up? That's my wife. Why? Because I want to remind myself, renew my mind, that we're one, and I want, I want to walk in the benefits of that, that relationship. It's more deep, more rich, more beautiful really than I can ever fathom. And it continues that way over the years. This is the same idea. Like just because you're saved, you put your, your faith in Jesus Christ, doesn't mean you're walking in that blessed position. And it's a progress through the entirety of your life. And so this is the idea that, I mean, we want to read is like, oh, this is who I am in Christ. This, is, this changes my view of God. This changes my view, uh, God the Father, changes my view of Christ. So let's walk in this position, the way we do that is put on the spectacles of faith, which comes by the Spirit of God. It changes how we, how we view God, how we view God. God becomes our Father. It's how we, it changes our view of how we view Jesus. And we, we walk in that by the Spirit of God and the Word of God. So here's what I want to do in this passage, this is what it says about God, uh, how you should view God um, and, and walk in this blessed position. Verse, verses four. In 5, it says this, even as he chose us, that's God, even as the Father chose us in him, that's Jesus, before, so when did the Father do it? Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, listen, he predestined us. No one likes that word, but it's actually a beautiful word. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of of his will to the praise of a glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. So the thing I want you to see here is that you are chosen by the Father. That's what the text just said. It says in four, five, in love, I mean God has adopted us as sons and daughters. Now, the thing I want you to see here is that God wants you. If you haven't if you adopt kids. The, the, the father and the mom, they want the child. No one gets adopted by not, not wanting a kid. God God wants you if you belong to Jesus. You're desired by God. So so many people treat this as a transactional thing. I said a prayer and now I'm saved. That's, yes, partly what happened, but do you realize what it's saying. That, that God desires you, that he wants you, that he chose you. The God who created all things, sustains all things, um, wants you. That should be unbelievable. I mean, th- think, think how much joy, if you have kids, they bring to you. Like, that's a desired thing that, that God's sharing his heart with you. In verse 4, again, it talks about a plan before the foundations of the world, predestination, the purpose of his will. Verses 9-10 talks about a plan you are not an afterthought to God at all. Not for a moment. Like God, God considered you when? Before the foundations of the world and that should minister to your heart. So if God had a plan for you since the beginning of time, do you think he cares about you right now? Yes and amen. Because he's your dad. If you have kids, you know how much you try to micromanage their life, right? Get them in the right schools or try to get them in the right programs or you know, make sure you're doing all that. If you parent that way, how much more do you think God's getting it right? He is. You may not always understand it, but you're not an afterthought to God, but you're, a, you're on the forefront of his heart and his mind and his hand, his planning. And this is, this is real. This is beautiful. Um, it, should, it should change the way that you do everything if you understand uh, the love that God has set upon you. You know, a lot of people, like I said, predestination, God has predetermined to save. Now, what we we don't understand is this idea is that we have sinned. We are responsible for our sin. Adam and Eve rebelled against God, and we perpetuate that in our own rebellion, each and every single one of us. God has always had a plan for redemption. God was never thinking, oh, no, now what? I mean, listen to Genesis 3, uh, verse uh, 15. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is a, it's called the Proto-Evangelion. Uh, it's the first gospel. So we sinned. Adam and Eve were sinned. And God's like, don't worry about it. I got a plan. Before the foundation of the world, I'm sending my son. I knew how I was going to save you. And so we're never like, wondering if God's out of control. He is completely in control. And then when we're even trying to mess up our own lives, he's still working our redemption through his son, Jesus Christ. That's how amazing our father is. I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, I I just built something with my son yesterday. He's seven. He was making a mess of things. But you know what? It got done because I'm overseeing it all. As he's making a mess, I'm bringing it all together. That's how God's working your own life. Why? Because he has redemption set on you. The plan of a father set on you. Number two, is how we view Jesus. So there is uh, the, the plan of the Father and there's redemption by the Son. Verse seven, it says this. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, listen, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So we gotta see Jesus more rightly. A lot of people don't understand Christianity just beholding the beauty and the worth of Jesus. It's not actually not something new. It's what He is and has done for us. Verse seven was redemption. You know what redemption is? It, it's Jesus' costly payment of his life for your life. His blood spilt for your redemption. You wanna, if you want to know how much something costs, is how much someone would pay for it. Jesus Christ paid with His life for you. His precious blood was spilt. Why? So you could be forgiven of every single trespass. So you could be adopted, you have a right to be adopted son and daughter. You you were expensive, at the cost of Christ's life, expensive. The Son of God had to die in your stead. Now this is amazing, for so many different re- reasons, because one, you are forgiven. So many people carry around sin and regret and It says all transgresses, past, present, future, you're forgiven. Why? Because of precious blood of Jesus Christ. Do you view it that way? It says the glorious riches of his grace. Grace is ill-deserved. Like you and I don't deserve. We're not neutral to God. We're in opposition to God. We're in jail. But Jesus Christ came and dealt with the penalty of our death. How? By dying in our stead and rising from the grave, not only promising future resurrection, physical resurrection, but eternal life. Where does that come from? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you understand the redemption and the cost that Jesus Christ paid with his blood? Not only for forgiveness, but listen to verse 4. It says, even as he chose us in him um, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. See, some of us have so much regret and shame. In the redemption of Christ, you're set apart as holy. God has marked you by the blood of Christ and his spirit. And it goes on to say you're blameless before him. No blame. So not only does he propitiate your sin, this is the idea that Jesus takes on the consequence of your sin, which is death and the eternal wrath that you deserve. That's propitiation. We get to walk in that we're forgiven. And expiation, With this, you're blameless in the sight of the Father. As I just as I said, as I put that paper in the Bible, does does Jesus or does God see the sinner? No, he sees his son. Do not let your your sin define you. Your shame weigh you down. Why? Because God doesn't see you that way. It says as far as east is the west, what? Your sins are forgiven. God doesn't see it anymore. Some of you need to walk in the truthfulness of the, the grace that God has provided you. Another way you can see it, uh, this idea of, of uh, blameless is some people will just think like he's wiped my, my, my slate clean like I'm, I'm forgiven it it's it's better than that it's as if you never sinned in, in the sense that like you but and you've always obeyed that there's a righteousness a closure that you'll always be blameless so even when you're failing what your position is is righteous and holy and blameless some people need to walk in that freedom this morning, this position that Jesus Christ has afforded you with his blood. Now, the last part is we are assured by the Spirit. So we now we have God as our Father, we have redemption through his Son, and we are assured by his Spirit. Verse 13 and 17, it says this, In him you, you, uh, you, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation believed in him, was as we were sealed with the uh, promised Holy Spirit, so that means you're regenerated. I mean, you were made new by the Spirit of God, verse 14, who is the guarantee, which is which is a down payment or a deposit of the inheritance until we acquire possession. So the Holy Spirit, man, is what, what seals you with your salvation and also allows you to possess it to the praise of his glory. So there's a, there's a lot here. So we are worshipers by instinct. We are always worshiping, always. Like you, It's not like negotiating, like you worship this morning, you worship this weekend. Now, the interesting thing is the object that you worship, the, the centerpiece of your worship will actually shape you. So the word worship is worth and shape. You put them together, what do you get? You get worship. So what you worship is what you become. Now, the issue, well, I'll, I'll, see, I'll read what C.S. Lewis says about it. It says this, the world rings with praise, lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical persons, childrens, flowers, mountains, rare stamps. That's kind of dates where he's coming from, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. So he's saying we worship all these things. Now, when you worship these things, you know what you become? You become like them. This is idolatry. And worshiping things of the world and not God behind the things of the world will make you deaf, mute, and dumb. And that's where a lot of us are right now in the idea of our idolatry. You're either worshiping God, understanding all these gifts are meant to praise His names to become like Him, or you're actually worshiping stuff and you're just becoming dead. And he's saying, by the Spirit of God, live and live worship Christ, and become like him. See, idolatry is simply taking good things from God and making them God things. So a lot of people think sinning is like, oh, don't do bad things. No, actually, most sins is taking good gifts from God and making them everything. And it'll leave you on a trajectory of death and decay and shriveling your soul instead of living by the Spirit of God, magnifying Christ. Hear me, most of the problems in our lives is not doing bad things, although some of it is, some some of it's like, man, Worshipping your spouse, worshiping your kids, worshiping your kids' performance, worshiping your bank account, all those things are gifts from God. And I, we should be thankful for our spouses, thankful for our kids. I want money in my bank account so I can eat and pay rent. Those are good things, but they're not God. And if we treat them as such, you're on a trajectory of death. And what this is telling us is the Spirit of God has renewed us, sealed us, that we can Start to walk in the position that God has given us. This blessed, uh, this blessed position. So, uh, the idea that, that that is shriveling our souls is we're walking by the flesh. Like we are just hearing, man, complaints about everything, like in the world about your identity, and it's causing division, and, and, and really, it's 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 killing you. What this text is saying: realize the blessed position of Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God and in, 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 in walk in it. So let's, let's read what it says. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed, listen, with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So you want to walk more in the position of this blessed joy that Jesus Christ is giving us, what should we do? We should praise his glorious grace. See, in verses six, it tells us this. It says, to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12, it says this, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory, and it ends to the praise of glory. See, the Spirit of God was given to us to help us realize, to walk in the benefits of Jesus Christ. See, a lot of people don't understand the, the beauty of all the gospel is for us, and the way that we walk in it is to sing did you know Christianity is the only people that sing victory songs? Know why? Because we have victory in Christ. Victory. You are forgiven. You are beloved. You have a promised resurrection, physical and eternal hope that will never go away. This is what we sing about. You want to shrivel your soul? Complain about the world and how it's not meeting your needs. We sing to a risen Christ who promised to come again. And when we sing, what happens? We worship him and we become like him. You know that's why we come here every single week? We worship King Jesus. It's not to hear just a sermon. It's not to be just greeted. It's to worship a risen king. And as you worship him, you become like him. We, we start to, 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 to realize the benefits that he's afforded to us. Uh, I'll, I'll read what it says in Ephesians 5. And then we get to practice this truth, put God to the test. It's like in the sense of, man, this is true. I want to experience this truth. Verse 18 of chapter 5 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So it's going to tell us, how are we supposed to be filled with the Spirit of God? It says, By addressing one another in psalms, and hymns, in spiritual songs, singing, and making melody, what? To the Lord with all your heart. You're training your heart. In your mind, what is true, right, and good, giving thanks always uh, for everything to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, and why are we singing? Because we have a good, gracious God for what Jesus Christ has done. See, it's it's, it's nothing new. The new is actually seeing more deeply the benefits that Christ has afforded you. The glories are unsearchable. The question is, will we Tell our minds, our hearts, and our lives and each other what is true, that Jesus is king. I don't care what's going around on in your life right now. Jesus is king, and he is victory, has victory over that. And we can proclaim those promises, and we can walk in those truths and be changed from one degree to the other by practicing, singing psalms, spirit, or hymns, and songs of one another. So let, let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us be filled with the Spirit this morning, God, that we would take your word of what it says, that we would... Sing to King Jesus. That we proclaim the position that you afford us. That we are united to Jesus Christ. That we have a God who is our Father, who chose us, who loves us, who set his love upon us before the foundation of the world, that we're not an afterthought, that he wants us. God, that we would truly believe what Jesus Christ did at the, the cross. That we are forgiven. Help us forgive ourselves. Help us forgive other people. Help us walk in the redemption that we are holy and blameless, not because of our performance, but because of Jesus Christ, his righteousness. Help us not walk in guilt or shame, but confess that and walk differently in Jesus by your spirit. Help us practice the truth that you say, sing and praise to the glorious graces of King Jesus that we can be like him. Help us possess more of our position. I say that in Jesus' powerful name, amen.